When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers Local 139 and the Construction Business Group, as well as our friends at the Madison Teamsters Local 695. Joining us now, Agent Provocateur, John Harrison Nichols. Good morning. Good morning, Sly. I'm reporting for duty. <laughs> you know, Foreigner had an album called Agent Provocateur. And you know, as a matter of fact, I remember that. And <laughs> it was it was kind of a cool cover, wasn't it? <laughs> I can't remember the cover. Like a, I if should... I'm not mistaken, it was one of their one of their more uh adventurous covers. <laughs> oh, no more adventurous than uh the uh the album Head Games, where the woman was sitting in the urinal. That, that's yeah, pretty. Yeah. They got a lot of blowback on that one. Okay. Inappropriately. So, so here we go. This is how Chris Hayes started his show the other day. According to one recent filing, Trump's lawyers are apparently going to try to confuse and hoodwink and misdirect the jury with all kinds of ludicrous and debunked conspiracy theories. They are seeking, for example, from the government, quote, all documents regarding Ray Ips or any similar persons who encouraged or participated in any illegal activities on January 6th. Now, if that name rings something of a bell, it's because Ray Epps is a January 6th insurrectionist who, according to various baseless right-wing conspiracy theories, was actually an undercover federal agent sent to the Capitol to incite the insurrection as a kind of trap. In fact, Fox News repeated that lie so often that Epps, who has since pleaded guilty to January 6th charges and was not a federal agent, is now suing the network for defamation for calling him that. Bizarrely, the Trump campaign is also seeking documents related to John Nichols. Yes, the longtime well-known liberal journalist from the nation, colleague and friend of mine for decades, who you may remember from his many appearances on this very show. And I have to admit, this one was news to even me, and I do cover this stuff for a living, and I read about it all day long every day. You see, apparently, some January 6th conspiracy theorists believe that John, John Nichols, who was in Wisconsin on January 6th, not in D.C., appeared at the Capitol in order to trick Trump supporters into ransacking the place to make them look bad. They've got like a nickname for him and some video they think they've identified him on the scaffold. So that is the caliber of argument you can expect from the Trump legal team. I remember talking to you that day. Now, I, I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was something to talk about. As a matter of fact, uh, we were talking about Ron Johnson's appearance on a local talk radio show where he mm -hmm. was sort of uh, diminishing the significance of the people that were busting into the Capitol. Well, it, it happens. You're not the only one who remembers talking to me that day. Uh, you know, since since this came up, and especially since I, I wrote about it in The Nation yesterday. But, but to be honest, Chris Hayes is... Uh, uh, appearance was especially amusing because he, he was literally laughing on TV, which you don't see that often. But uh, since it came up, I've had all kinds of people contact me, even people I'd forgotten that I talked to that day, and, and uh, say, oh, yeah, I remember calling you because and, and, I wanted to know what was going on. And, you know, and, and it, so it was one of those days where I was, I guess for lack of a better term, very demonstrably in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, it, it, 
I was doing radio interviews. I was, you know, talking to people in person and, and, you know, on the phone, uh, <laughs> took my daughter to the orthodontist before things blew up. Um, so it was just, it, it was kind of a weird, it, it, was, it was a weird suggestion in the first place that I might've been in DC because I wasn't in DC. In fact, I haven't been there for quite a while. Um, but also weirder because if you know me, um, I'm not exactly the kind of person that I think the deep state would reach out to. <laughs> well, that's, you made that point in your piece in the nation. Uh, to me, there's a, this is a symptom of, first of all, the, the shoddy work by Donald Trump's lawyers. Uh, no good lawyer would put that in a filing without, you know, taking 30 seconds to find out that you were in Wisconsin that day. So you actually had spotted this a long time ago, right? And you reached out to someone. Yeah. I mean, I had seen things on Twitter like a year ago. I, actually, to be honest, I didn't spot it. I got to give credit where credit is due. Caitlin uh, Graff, who's the, um, you know, she's the public relations person, the, the media person for the nation. And she follows everything, like all over social media and places that you and I probably never see. And she contacted me more than a year ago. And she said, here's a weird one. And she was laughing, you know. Um, and, and there was like a tweet, right? And uh, suggested that, that I was, you know, somehow an instigator or something like that. And I saw the guy that had sent it. And so I, you know, DM'd him. And I said, hey, don't want to, you know, don't want to you know, burst your bubble here or whatever. But I w I'm not your guy. I was in Wisconsin that day. And the guy politely, you know, DM back and said, um, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make note of that. <laughs> you know, and then after that, I didn't see much. You know what I mean? It would, you'd see like a little thing flurry across Twitter or something like that once in a while. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Or at least I didn't think so. But apparently, um, if you're a Trump lawyer and you're desperate enough and searching, searching desperate, you know, far and wide, um, this is what you come upon. It so remember, in fairness, Nancy Pelosi is also on the list. You know, for all the millions that Donald Trump is spending on legal defense, it kind of seems like they're going through the motions. It seems like he doesn't have much of a defense and his really only way out of this thing is to get elected president and get this or have another Republican get elected president and have this dismissed. It seems like it seems like this is all just noise. Well, that's been said. Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing of it is, and this is this is a, an interesting dynamic of it. Sometimes noise can actually harm your guy more than than help. And I think in this case, uh, maybe maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I don't think this has actually gone all that well for them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, it's like if Trump's defense was just a core defense, right, if it was rooted in arguments that, you know, he didn't intend this and he didn't really do that or whatever, I think that might be more effective than trying to, you know, cast a net and hope that something something comes up. Because the, when the Washington Post contacted me about this, because they have a very good uh, reporter who's covering the trial, and she has to read all the documents. And so she apparently 
one of the few people that's actually read everything. Um, she said, you know, hey, yeah, deep in this, you know, like, I don't know, Exhibit C, File 6 or whatever, um, your name is mentioned. And she wanted to know if I knew that. And I said, no, it's just, that is surprising. And um, then uh, she read me the stuff, and she sent me the, the link to it. And so I read through the document, making myself now, you know, the second person who's read through a lot of ah. um, And um, there's like 36 or 35, you know, there's, there's tons of items on the document that they're asking for information about. And yes, there's, there is me, of course, um, but there's also Nancy Pelosi and Capitol Police officers and, um, you know, I think it's the FBI and other folks. And, you know, it's, it's kind of endless, right? It's an incredibly long list. Have they worked and, maybe Rebozo or Deep Throat into this yet? Well, you see, Sly, <laughs> that's probably in a later filing. Okay. <laughs> you know, you save, you save your really powerful stuff for later. I'm not, I'm not naive enough or, you know, egotistical enough to believe that I was their chief focus there. But, you know. Well, let's, uh, let's play a, a clip of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, Mike Johnson. If you forgot his name, it's Mike Johnson. Is a, he's kind of a forgettable person. But I don't think Tip O'Neill or John Boehner or Paul Ryan ever would have said this. We want transparency. We should demand that the American people do. We trust, House Republicans trust the American people to draw their own conclusions. We should not, they should not be dictated by some narrative and accept that as fact. So they can review the tapes themselves. Uh, we're going through a methodical process of releasing them as quickly as we can. As you know, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who uh, participated in, in, uh, in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and, uh, and, and, and to be charged by the DOJ and, and to have other uh, you know, concerns and problems. Uh, his office has since tried to walk that back. Uh, that's a, just a shocking statement. It is because, well, first off, apparently I think they're still going to try and blur the faces, but that they're saying that the DOJ will be able to see him clearly. Right. <laughs> you know, but not, I'm not kidding. I think that their argument is that, that the initial tapes will be available to the DOJ. And so they won't be blurred. But then the question is, why are you blurring the face? You know, if if your initial argument for doing it was that they wouldn't be retaliated against, and now you're saying, well, um, the DOJ is going to have it anyway, so um, it's okay to blur them, I guess. But maybe I'm reading it wrong. I'm having a hard time keeping a clear sense of, you know, where Mike Johnson's headed, <laughs> you know, like what's going on in his brain. Um, but it does seem to me that he's been burned pretty badly by his own people, right? Like Chip Roy and other folks who have said, we're not getting anything done. We're kind of a ridiculous caucus at this point. We've got power, but nothing good is coming of it. And I think he's trying to do theatrical things, right? Things that, that create the sense of, of having power. It's like a, you know, a show where you shout, a TV show where you shout really loud on the theory that that then people will think what you're saying is important. Well, they appear to be. He appears to be doing something very important right now, and that's helping Putin uh, destroy Ukraine. He's not, he's not doing Ukraine any favors at this moment, is he? No. And, but really, it's, you know, that's a foreign policy issue that is vital. If you look at polling 
you know, where people are, even now, people are highly focused on domestic and particularly domestic economics. And the way that he is playing both foreign and domestic policy is, you know, kind of as a game, right? It's, it's a theater. That's right. Uh, well, we're not going to do that. Um, and a lot of no and stuff like this. The problem with that is that if you look at the arc of history of the United States, we can't afford to be derailed or, you know, disengaged for incredible periods of time. Like for, you know, some would argue the last eight years by Trump in some ways, but, you know, particularly by a Congress that literally doesn't act. And, and so I believe, do you remember Stanley Cutler, the history sure. professor at UW? His son worked for, Stanley, his son worked for Russ Feingold. He did indeed. Yeah. So Stanley Cutler had this great line. He said it is the, the job of every president to make his predecessor look better. <laughs> if you take that in, you understand the concept, right? And, it's, and, funny. it's a good line. It is. And I think that Mike Johnson is expanding that down the line of succession. It is the job of each Speaker of the House to make his predecessor look better. And it's not easy to make, you know, McCarthy look all that great, right? Kevin McCarthy looks kind of bad. But well, I have to give him a little credit. I have, I have to give him a little credit for walking away. I mean, oh, he's screwing. Them. I mean, he is screwing them, and uh, yeah. you know, their majority hangs on an edge because Santos is gone, right? Yep. Well, I know I've been writing about it. this. Is Santos is gone? McCarthy is gone. There's some guy in Eastern Ohio who young. Yeah, he's really go, he's he's being he's being appointed the president of Youngstown State. Which is a great gig. And I love Young Son, as you know. I reported in Ohio for years. Um, and so um, he's, it, when that happens, they're, really, they're going to literally be relying on the results of special elections to keep them in power, right? And that's going to make these special elections very high stakes. I mean, theoretically, it's going to be hard because these are relatively Republican districts. Well, Santos' district isn't relatively Republican. No, Santos will go. McCarthy's is a tougher one. This Eastern Ohio district has swung pretty much toward Trump, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Then there's the New York district with Higgins, which is probably going to pop up as well. End result is when you look down the list, um, they're, they're in this incredibly tenuous place. And it's so tenuous that Matt Gates, who I'm starting to um, recognize as a rather more able political commentator than many political commentators, um, he was on some show the other day ranting about McCarthy and saying, you know, how horrible it was that McCarthy had, had quit and left them in the lurch. Even if they were rough on McCarthy, he should have at least stayed out his term. And then he said, he, he went in his whole diatribe about how Nancy Pelosi, like her or not, is an honorable leader. Well, now. <laughs> who stayed in her position, didn't harm her caucus. Well. And I'm thinking, when if you can get Nancy, you can get Matt Gates to compliment Nancy Pelosi. Um, that's pretty amazing. But that is, does appear to be what Kevin McCarthy has accomplished. We'll take a break. John Nichols from the Capital Times, The Nation, and Agent Provocateur with us on SlicesOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. 
Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson. We love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson, and Wax have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. We're back at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by Madison Computer Works and Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson. All right, so this is quite a moment. Sean Hannity, who's kind of like Charlie Brown and, you know, Lucy with the football. Here he is. Which one is he, though? Which one is he? He's Charlie Brown. Here is is Sean Hannity. I want to be very, very clear on this. To be clear, do you in any way have any plans whatsoever, if reelected president, to abuse power, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? You mean like they're using right now? So... In the history of our country, what's happened to us, again, has never happened before. Over nonsense, over nothing, made up charges. I often say Al Capone, he was one of the greatest of all time, if you like criminals. He was a mob boss, the likes of which Scarface, they call him. And he got indicted once. I got indicted four times. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, that's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not, no, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, <laughs> I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. I just don't buy. <laughs> uh, you know, well, when, when will he learn? Are you there? I'm here. Okay, go ahead. When will he learn? When will Sean Hannity learn? Or will yeah. Will Trump learn? Yeah. When will Sean Hannity uh, learn? Uh, well, look. In fairness to Sean Hannity, he asked the the appropriate question. Somebody had to ask that question. It happened that it was Hannity. So I'm not going to beat on Hannity too much for that. I think he, you know, he did what you're supposed to do. Um, he just didn't anticipate the answer which is always a mistake, right? I mean, they tell lawyers and journalists, it's always kind of good to to have a little sense. What's incredible to me in that one is that Donald Trump said exactly what people you should be concerned about said, and that is he would only abuse power for one day. And just so you know, Sly, that's all any dictator ever does, right? You abuse power for one day. You can get a lot and done. Then, you can get a lot done no, in no, one day. You you rewrite the rules so that right. you're not you're not considered to be abusing power anymore. That's that's the point of it. That's how the rule of law is destroyed. Rule of law is not destroyed by violation of the rule of law. The rule of law is destroyed by people saying it doesn't exist, and then they go and do whatever they want. Yes, the and, winner. 
The winner makes the rules. All right, here's Steve Bannon's reaction to Sean Hannity asking that question. Murdoch's a moron. Murdoch's, Murdoch so missed what happened in 15 and 16. He was ordered and able to do this stuff. He came to the White House. He's not a bright guy. He's not a bright guy. He's kind of a nepo because his, his, his father, had they had money. The sons are the biggest mortars in the world. Untethered with, with ales gone, this is truly Steve, a TV for stupid people. Sean Haney actually thought he was helping Trump last night. Let me ask you a question. Will you be a dictator? Trump gives a full heckle. And here's what I love. The audience gets it. They're laughing. By the way, Sean, they're laughing at you. They're laughing at this stupid, ridiculous question. Of course, Trump's not a dictator. It's absurd on the face of even to consider, even to ask that question that Morning Joe and those guys can cut the clips on shows you're an idiot. And we don't have time for idiots, bro. This is a, this is a war. We don't have time for idiots, bro. We're in a war. What do you think of that? Well, let me begin by the fact, I'm not sure the audience was laughing. If you get my drift. I mean, there may have been a little laughter there on some folks' part. But my sense is, there were folks in that audience who approved, and that's always a thing to understand, that, uh, you know, this, that one of the challenges is that there are folks who, who definitely are so in for Trump that they'd like him to be, you know, in charge and abusive at least for one day or something like that. Um, but as regards Hannity, um, asking the question, uh, you know, to suggest that Hannity was stupid in asking it, and I know... You know, many people may think that. I would beg to differ. I mean, I think Hannity, whether you like it or not, respected Trump enough to assume that Trump would give uh, a solid answer. Well, and this is right? where I get back to the Lucy and Charlie Brown thing, because yeah, you know, this I is know, not the I first know. time Hannity has tried to do that, and Donald Trump took it in an entirely different direction. All right, here's former Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming. Her reaction yesterday to Hannity asking that question. First of all, um, Sean Hannity, who was conducting that interview, Sean knew at the time, we you know, have the text messages between mm -hmm. Sean and Kaylee McEnany on January 7th. They understood how dangerous Donald Trump was after January 6th. They were trying to isolate him. They were trying to land the plane. They knew the country was in danger and that Donald Trump was the source of that danger. And Sean Hannity knows that today. So he has several times now tried to sort of bail Donald Trump out uh, when he's he's said something or suggested something that that is illegal, that is completely beyond the bounds. And he did it again last night. And of course, Donald Trump won't deny um, that he has plans uh, like the ones we've been discussing. He says it on a weekly, if not a daily basis. And I think what we as Americans and as voters, as citizens need to to commit to do is not to become numb to that. What he says is so outrageous that it can be very easy for his allies to say to the rest of us, oh, come on, you know that's not true. What the lesson of Donald Trump of the last several years has taught us is we have to take him seriously and we have to take him literally. She is 100% correct. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because they used to say about uh, George W. Bush that, um, you know, you should believe him. When he says he's going to do something, he actually does it. And uh, because there were folks who thought, well, some of the things he was saying and matters of war and peace and surveillance and other issues, you know, couldn't really be serious, but it was. And, um, and I think that with Trump, 
it was more complex because he's a reality TV star, right? He's a show and he does present in a theatrical way. And so it's, it's easier to, that, that he is just doing theater. But the thing I would suggest about Trump is that, and I know some people who really hate him won't, won't believe this, but I think he's changed a great deal over the last eight years. Being a showman, right? Um, who maybe even didn't fully know what he would do if he became president, maybe even didn't really anticipate that he would become president. Um, to somebody who now kind of believes his own script, he's like the actor who stops acting and, and believes he is the character that he's occupying. It would be and like if uh, Carol. It would be like if Carol O'Connor actually became a racist, which he was the opposite of. As you were right, saying, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I throw uh, that in yeah. there because we lost one of the great ones, Norman Lear, yesterday. We sure did. But but I do think that's an important thing to understand. Uh, that I think that that Trump feels more isolated now than he ever has from the you know even traditional leadership of the Republican Party. So he has found himself in the position where he's the star, right? He's the the person that folks look to for signals, and. Um, in both his own ego, his own anger, other factors, I think have started to surface in some pretty pretty major ways. And again, that's the point I would make is that I don't think that the Donald Trump that we're seeing today is the same one that we saw in 2015, 2016. He was a bad player then. I wrote a lot about him back then and, uh, and you know, very critical. But I, I do think he's, he's uh, a much more concerning figure. And as, as proof of that, I will give you this that Liz Cheney supported him in 2016 and in 2020. And so, you know, she has obviously seen something develop in him, whether it was always there or whether it's evolved, uh, that makes her now present him as an incredibly dangerous figure. Hey, at this, at this point, I'll take anyone on board. It's going to take all hands on deck oh, yeah. to stop this guy. All right, here is uh, Reince Priebus, a very tragic man, from Wisconsin, you you may left remember Donald Trump. Trump left him on the tarmac. On the tarmac. Yeah, I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Here is him <laughs> on ABC's this week. I just don't buy this democracy on the ballot and all of the all of this nonsense about Trump. When the Democrats are sitting there with a candidate that nonsense hasn't been about Trump, what's the nonsense? Well, no, I mean about how democracy is on the ballot. If democracy was on the ballot, the Democrats wouldn't be sitting there with a candidate that has the worst numbers since they've been taking polling. And and worse yet, people will say, well, this has happened before. Barack Obama had bad polling. Trump had bad polling. But Democrats loved Obama by 90, 95%. Same with Trump. He is in the tank with Democrats. Now, how they can claim on one hand democracy is on the ballot and sit there with an historically weak candidate uh, is unbelievable. I don't buy it. That is the dumbest statement <laughs> I've ever heard. And yet I've heard people you know, ask about that. They say, boy, you know, this is such a serious election. Is, is Biden up for it? Is Biden the right guy? Now, Biden's had... I yeah, but he's... He, uh, but but, but Prebus is essentially saying is the Democrats are forcing Joe Biden on the American people, and that's a threat to democracy. Yeah, I realize the concept. But let me, let me play this out for one little bit and tell you a quick story. Um, probably the most vulnerable person 
physically vulnerable person that was ever nominated by a major party for president. Um, but might have been Eisenhower in, in 56, because he had gone through some real health challenges. But it seemed to turn the corner. But I would say, arguably, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in 1944, at an incredibly critical moment in American history, um, where we were still at war against fascism, and where you had to plan the transition out of that war, um, Democrats nominated Franklin Roosevelt for a fourth term. That in itself was controversial. And Roosevelt, at that point, was broadly seen as dying. I wrote a book on, on this period. And, and yet, Democrats went with him. Now, why did they go with him? They went with him because he could unite the party, and they went with him because they believed, as vulnerable as he may have been, that he was the essential man, that there were things he had to do, even if he didn't survive his term, and he didn't, um, that were essential to ending the war and transitioning the country, you know, the beginning to transition the country out of it. Uh, they were right. Uh, they were exactly right, in fact. And um, Roosevelt won. He won a landslide victory that year, despite all the talk about his health, despite all the talk about his, you know, infirmities, etc. all the, the, the really pretty rough things that were said about him. And I would suggest to you that Biden's in better shape at this point physically. Um, but that's a measure other people can make. Some people would disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. But what I will tell you is I think you end up in a situation like that. Biden, for all of his challenges, looks to be able to unite the vast majority of the Democratic Party. There are people who dissent and people who criticize him. That's very common in the Democratic Party. But it looks like he's able to unite it. And I would suggest to you that even though I, as you well know, disagree with him, on a number of issues, including things that he's doing right now, um, that he is a sober, mature, and very ex- experienced figure at a time when the world desperately needs some sobriety, maturity, and experience. And so uh, if Reince Priebus wants to play that game, right, and, you know, talk about the Democrats nominating somebody who, who he doesn't think is their strongest candidate, uh, I would just say he might be a little cautious and reflect on history, because... Eisenhower got reelected by a landslide in 56 after some real health challenges uh, and is at that time, I think, the oldest president in history. Uh, and uh, Roosevelt got reelected by a landslide in 44, uh, despite the physical challenges and as an aging and, and in many ways infirm president. Finally, this is a little treat for you. I've been uh, I've been reading a lot about Richard Daly, Richard J. Daly and Frank Rizzo. And people's attraction yeah. to strong men. Okay. Now, neither of these individuals are anything like Donald Trump and to, to the level of what Donald Trump is. Uh, but this is a moment when Frank Rizzo leaves office in 1980. He's walking his dog in front of his house, and a reporter had staked out uh, in in front of his home in a very nice neighborhood in Philadelphia because it was reported that the police were basically still serving as Rizzo's de facto uh. security guards and running errands for him, and he wasn't in office and blah, blah, blah. So here's Frank Rizzo with a uh, top-notch reporter from the uh, CBS affiliate in Philadelphia. Recent filing, Trump's lawyers. No, that's not the clip. All right, hang on a second. I, hang on. Here we go. You're a crumb creep. I want to fight you. But you don't have the courage. You're a real crumb bum. Put that on camera. You're a creep. 
Get away from me. Well, sir, I'm on the if public street. I should, be, I should be authorized to be here. That... I'll break it off your head. I'll break it over your head. Get away from me, you crumb. There is a You're a here. crumb creep coward. I want to fight you. Why is that? Because you're a crumb creep lush coward. You don't even know me, Mayor. You are a lush, I can tell by looking at you. I was a cop all my life, and I know a lush when I see one, and you're a lush. You're a creep. Get away from me, crumb. One of the wow. one of the most wonderful <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, and you know why? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Sly, that is a very useful clip. You know why? It, uh, it tells us that when we think things have gotten as crazy as they possibly could and off the rails as they possibly could, we are reminded that there's some history here. <laughs> We've had many moments in our history where um, things have gotten very, very crazy, right? And, and politicians have gotten, you know, genuinely threatening and, and weird and dishonest and, you know, all sorts of other things. And yet, somehow, the Republic survived. Philadelphia survived, uh, in fact, pretty well. And, uh, and, and I think as, as weird as my week has been, uh, and as weird as America's week has been, I still have a great deal of faith that, uh, that we come out of it on the other side as, uh, you know, a, a pretty strong Republic. It is, there is one point of differentiation. Donald Trump never, ever would have physically gotten into a fist fight with a reporter. Frank Rizzo, he would have. Might have. He might have. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by the way, uh, most political experts said that had Rizzo not died in 1991, he would have been. He might have. He would have, he might have come back. Yeah. He but can I tell you one other, can I tell you something else, though? As a somewhat of a historian of, the, of urban politics, he had changed a lot. He had. <laughs> in that last run, he was running as a much more, uh, as an older and I think somewhat more dignified candidate, um, still opposed by a lot of rational people. But um, I think that's the, that's the fascination now at this point, because with Trump, it, it, it is in a sense that he has matured or gotten more serious. It's, it's the sense that he, you know, is kind of more driven by his ego and more, more, struggling, frankly. Uh, and so I think that's what you look at in politics, right? You look at, at people and you recognize folks can change. They can get better, um, but they can also change and get worse. And that appears to be what's happening right now with Donald Trump. Amazing. All right. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Thanks for coming on. It's an honor to be with you, brother. Sliceoffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.